On this episode, we fall deep down the Moebius rabbit hole and take a trip to the world of Adina. Hello and welcome to Panelism, the podcast where we talk about comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Todd A. Taylor Trask. And uh, Todd, it is March uh, 2021. <laughs> I know. it's. I, I, that's exactly my point. I was... You know, we we uh, we're on a good, fairly decent schedule, but Jesus, it's already it's already March. Like this is the year that I kind of thought would, you know, maybe slow down a little bit, and we'd have our yeah, reprieve right. from last year. And it's like, nope, pedal to the metal. So here we are with another episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as you um, as you talked about in the intro to the show, uh, we're doing a Mobius book that you have chosen that um, you have talked about um, him several times on the show. Yes, uh, him, him, them. I'm not actually sure him. if it's a, a a person or a conglomerate. Um, did you see <laughs> that there's a, a Moebius uh, humble bundle right now? Oh my God, no! Just, and just how, wanted to ruin your how your week. appropriate. <laughs> oh yeah, Lord. yeah. I don't even uh, know if those... it'll be active by the time this episode airs, but for you, Taylor. Well, hey, for those of you, uh, those listeners out there who don't, who've never seen Humble Bundle, give give them a quick oh, my gosh, pitch. Yes. Like, what is it? So, humblebundle.com works with publishers, um, game studios, tabletop studios uh, to create a bundle of like a, a a work work on a theme. So, we've talked about there's like an image comics bundle from time to time. In this case, there's a Moebius uh, comics bundle. Um, or, or they'll just be like, a, here's a, a bundle of PC games. Um, you get to donate. Like, there's sort of like generally tiers that you donate in. Um, and then it is uh, a certain percentage goes to the studio or, or whomever donated the the work. And then part of it goes to a charity for that month. So, and actually, I think what they're doing now are, I don't know that there's a weekly new bundles, but I know they changed their release day. So it's like Tuesdays or when you look for the new bundles to come out. Um, so you and I have both done this thing. Like my TBR pile is ridiculous because I want it. You know, it was like uh, for 15 bucks, I got so many image comics, graphic novels where I wanted, you know, a good five of them or something. And this was definitely cheaper than getting that many. Um, but now I've got, you know, whatever, 37 more graphic novels to read <laughs> it's 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 amazing and granted they're all digital which is not a bad thing and they're open source no. which is an even better thing but it's um yeah it does i don't know i think humble bundle for me is a great way if you if you've ever wanted to sort of sample the wares of a particular publisher or author totally. um this is the great way to do it like i i famously now bought last year's humble bundle of the uh, the humanoids had one and i just grabbed it all i went to the top tier like 20 bucks i basically got the entire humanoids catalog which is amazing but then you have to like you know spend the time going through it and at the same time you're helping you're helping a great uh cause so it's not like you know you could just give the money and not get anything but it's it's kind of fun to get something for it and something that's as cool as these niche or or sort of harder to find comics yeah and i'll tell you by the time this episode comes out this humble bundle is done that's correct you taylor go get it (laughs) 
Yes, <laughs> I will be doing that as soon as we're done talking. But today's book um, is one I have been wanting to review for quite some time and yeah. have put it off because I have, um, as I mentioned in previous episodes, I have a top tier shelf of books uh, that I think that I'm, I'm going to go through this year for sure. But I've been putting them, I've been putting them off because they are heavier books you know, mentally. They are more intricate. I really want to do them justice in talking about them. And so I've been kind of waiting, 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 waiting. And this is the year that I'm just going to go through them all. So you're going to get Todd as a co-host, you're going to get some, some deep dives into books that you've either been curious about or have no, know nothing about. Yeah. Um, like today's book or, and then listeners at home too. I think this, this is a great, this will be sort of my higher, like my more literary kind of reviews that I've, I've been holding off. So hopefully I, I, hopefully I do do them justice. Um, you know, we kicked off the year, uh, with a book kind of like that. I did the, uh, uh, Frank Herbert Dune graphic yeah. novel, which came out. Um, but this, uh, this episode I'm doing the world of Adina by Moebius and that's spelled E D E N A, uh, not E D I N A, not Edina. It's Adina. Think about, <laughs> you know, the garden of Eden with an A after it. Um, and I apologize ahead of time. I have crazy, crazy allergies. And so my nose is running. <laughs> I, I sound stuffy. Um, if you hear any residual sniffing, that's what's going on. It's great, um, right? We went, we went from like the dead of winter <laughs> to like spring just instantly. No transition. Uh, yeah. 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 And by the dead of winter, we mean like, you know, that was, we just came out of the, the week where Texas basically froze to death. And so that's where, that's where we are in the, in the timeline. If you're listening in the future and you know, it's the, oh, God, yeah. the utopia or dystopia have set in, that's where we are right now. We're, we're right. here. So, um, no, the world of Adina, let me just jump in. I'm going to give you the basics. If you want to be cool and French about it, you can call it uh, Le Monde d'Edine because uh, Jean Giraud, otherwise known as Moebius, is French. Mm, um, okay. It was written and illustrated by Moebius and the colors by him too. And this was uh, this particular book was published by Dark Horse, a couple of years ago, it was the first release under Dark Horse's Moebius Library project. So Dark Horse got the rights to all his work, and they uh, have all these grand ambitions to publish it all over over time. Wow! And they've already put they've already put out a, a bunch of great books, and this was the very very first one. And um, grabbed it as soon as I saw it. the cover. Uh, if you have, I guess physical or digital it doesn't matter. The cover is amazing. It's very evocative. It's a really great image. It kind of shows you, gives you, gives you a sampling of what to expect. There's a a guy in a bubble kind of hovercraft, um, going over a forest on potentially some alien world. Gives you really kind of a good idea of what it is. Um, this series, by the way, consists of five parts. Um, each of them were published uh, many years ago as separate volumes, and then there was a sixth volume. And they each make up a you know a part of this grand narrative. The sixth volume is is a is related, but it's a little bit more hodgepodge. So um, when you say volumes, ahead. is it sort of like uh, each volume is roughly the length of a, of a trade paperback or graphic novel? Yeah, I would say so because okay. um, you know he started the first the first part um, was published in 1983, and the last part was published in 2001. So this was a you know a body of work that he you know was was toying with on and off throughout his whole career, and yeah I would say I'm just kind of holding maybe a, a slightly thinner trade paperback um, you know think of of what a uh, European trade paperback might be, and you'd have this now each of these each of these parts has uh, has you know won awards gained notoriety 
um, but they were never collected in one cohesive volume before this, I believe. There might, I think Marvel might have had something to do with republishing it in the 90s, the mid-90s. Um, but for all intents and purposes, this is sort of the definitive collection of the Adina series. It's It was meant to also be a starting place for Mobius to to develop his you know, kind of a Mobius universe. Um, you know, much like Jodorowsky has uh, stories and comics that all kind of fit in the same world, like the Inkle and the Meta Barons and, um, and uh, Techno Priest are all part of the same quote-unquote Jodoverse. Mobius was kind of <laughs> trying to do the same thing um, with varying levels of success. I don't think he quite went as far as Jodorowsky did. And I mentioned Jodo specifically because he... Uh, was a heavy creative partner with Moebius throughout most of their career. Um, they uh, met, uh, of course, uh, uh, in, famously on the set of the, the Jodorowsky Dune movie um, and went on to create a bunch of comics and stuff uh, together and, and many other things, too. And um, just to, uh, you had briefly mentioned the Humanoids label at the top of this. They were both published by Humanoids in Europe yeah. and America. Yes. Uh, again, this book is Dark Horse, but yeah, uh, both authors or both creators have are very heavily involved with humanoids. In fact, as I'm looking at this humble bundle, Todd, as you mentioned earlier, there's some humanoids published things right. there too by uh, Jean Giraud. Um, real quick, so so if you aren't familiar with with Moebius, his real name is Jean Giraud. He's a French um, bandesiné artist, um, and really. Uh, Known, I think, worldwide for his speed. He's just a very, very fast uh, illustrator. Um, and just, he has a very distinctive style that has been aped many, many times, uh, either intentionally or just through inspiration. So you you have seen his work um, many, many times. Maybe you didn't know it, maybe you did. You know, one of the, the things that he's most famous for is um, heavy metal, that 19, like late 60s, early 70s um, sort of music video thing that, um, I, I don't even know how to describe heavy metal, uh, right. but it's the illustration is him. So if you've seen that, if you are familiar with the um, Western comic uh, Blueberry, um, that's him too. He's done a bunch of just different things. And like I said, of course, his involvement with Jodorowsky is um, is pretty huge. You know, he, he illustrated The Inkle, which I'll be talking about in a future episode. So um, check him out. Sadly, passed away in 2012. Um but has just an amazing, amazing body of work. And this really kind of gets you into his mind. It was really cool to see. I think the, the biggest surprise just out of the gate was that this was not a collaboration. This was 100% him. Mm. Writing, illustrating, colors, like this was all him. Um, so, you know, usually he's paired with somebody who's, you know, somebody's doing the writing, somebody's doing the directing, um, you know, someone's conceiving of something that he's working on. So this was cool to see, like, from him, his own mind, this is what you got. Hmm. Uh, if you like, you know, any of his other work, the Inkle, Blueberry, um, if you like any of those kind of, I'll just call them dreamy European stories, uh, for lack of a better better word. You know, even I would even say some of the Studio Ghibli movies. Um, if you like those, if you like, this is gonna be a weird one, but if you like the Pixar movie Soul, which just came out, okay. I think all of those references are good kind of points of view to like this book. Like they now will orient you in the right way. Is that mostly because of story perspective, or because I, I, the, only, I the soul I'm I'm familiar with, and that has a lot of really trippy animation that goes from yeah. like these these is so are you talking more from that animation standpoint that standpoint where it like sort of jumps genres or from the story standpoint? I would say from the in soul spoilers sort of not spoilers um, when they're in the afterlife 
like everything kind of gets very heightened and very dreamy and very surreal. That's the reference I'm thinking of. Um, even the soundtrack, you know, the, the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross soundtrack, like when yeah. you're in the, the afterworld, it's kind of a, almost like a dreamy Tron kind of soundtrack. Like that's literally the soundtrack I would put to this, this book. Like it just has that kind of qual otherworldly, but familiar, but dreamy, nostalgic kind of quality to it. Um, you know, one of the things that really jumped out at me, uh, just even seeing the cover, but then as I was thumbing through it before I bought it, I, I, it was very clear to me this it reminds me of, of dreams I've had, like the visuals of uh-huh. it, like the layout, the pacing. Um, there's, there's some very abstract things that happen without any text at all that, that, um, you know, things change and morph and, um, it's just, it has a very dreamy quality to it, especially in the beginning, um, parts of it. So, uh, all of that, you know, if you like those things, I think you'll like this book. And honestly, if you're a fan of Moebius in any way, shape or form, grab this because it is i think it's one of his seminal works um you know right up there with inkle right up there with with um you know all his stuff i think it's i'm glad it's collected in this way because it will get um will get more appreciated and more noticed as as the years go on even though a lot of these stories like i said have won awards um you know part of it won an eisner back in 91 so so take that uh take from that what you will let me jump in the story um, it, it, I'm going to yeah, back you up right there. You said part of this one in Eisner. So like one of the five parts, do you, uh, do you know what, were these ever released as like single issues before they made up a part or did he sort of publish it as a complete? No, no, no. Part? They were all, they were all published as they came out. Okay. Um, so like, you know, I think the publishing history is like 83, 89, 92, you know, he just kept kind of noodling on it as, as time went on. And then the last one, like I said, came out in 2001, 2000. Two, is there, no, 2001. 2001, um, yeah. <clears throat> pardon me. So, yeah, the, you know, the whatever, the the one that came out, I think in 87 or 88, one in Eisner in 89 or 90. Um, and there's some other awards that have, each each of these parts have, have uh, garnered awards over the over the years. So here's the story. And this is, this is why this was so tricky for me to do a review on because it is, it's very long. Um, and it, it kind of, it, because he wrote it in sort of these ch- in this choppy kind of way, like over, over the course of time, it's not the most cohesive. Like the main characters will will appear in all parts, but you can tell he like he each part kind of follows what he was interested in his own life at that period of time. Even though the story there is there is a, a cohesive narrative, but it it weaves and it kind of changes focus based on what he was was interested in. So that's kind of prevented me from really trying to jump into this. Um, I'm just going to read some notes I prepared here. And some of this is off of Wikipedia. Um, In the initial story, so part one, um, Moebius introduces two genderless protagonists called Stell and I'm just going to pronounce it Atan. Um, Others have pronounced it Aten, but A-T-A-N. So Stell and Atan, they crash on a barren planet. Um, This is in some, you know, galaxy far, far away, a long time ago or, or whenever. They eventually stumble on a camp of uh, interstellar refugees surrounding a mysterious pyramid. And then uh, Stell and Atan are transported to an unknown world described as, quote, a Garden of Eden somewhere in another galaxy. Hmm. And so that that's how part one opens. It's it's introducing these two characters. They find this 
kind of this this remnant of refugees, and then they get transported via this pyramid to this other this other world. And it's a beautiful sequence. Is this like um, a, a Hickman thing where we're searching for symbols and all of this? Like the fact that there's a pyramid there, are we, you know, are you are we tying that to some symbology around pyramids? I mean, or? I'm sure. Like, okay. I don't think there's any kind of like conspiratorial cult thing here at okay. all. I don't think it's that. Um, you know, this is not a commentary on society in that way. Um, let me, I'll, just, I'll note this too, Wikipedia, and I had for, I forgot this, um, the open ending of the first story, so it ends with them getting transported, that actually inspired Moebius to wonder what would happen next, because he hadn't necessarily thought oh, through the okay. whole thing. So then he plotted out three or four more books worth of stories that were conceived as the basis for this kind of coherent Moebius universe. Um, and then there was supposed to be a crossover with one of his other works like the airtight garage um and some other things too so um the the main characters throughout the whole thing are Stella and Atan, and it's their relationship that really drives the story so so he wrote that first part they get to adina he didn't really like that was kind of the end and then he thought you know this i wonder what does happen to these two and so that was the genesis for him hmm. continuing on with parts three four and five over, over the course of two decades now Stella and Atan, they get to they get to Adina, and they're the only two people there. And because they they have been in a society that you know it's very manufactured, it's very you know it's very Jetsonsy. Like they you know they don't eat real food. Everything is very controlled. Um, even you know the things that they they put in their bodies and their minds are very controlled. So like part of their their genderless kind of nature is because the society that they are from is is very homogenized, very stifling etc um and i didn't this is an interesting little fact to it so moebius was strongly influenced by the teachings of jean paul appel giri uh who was uh he had a commune in, uh, a commune rather in tahiti and moebius joined him there in 83 84 when he was writing part one he um, was also really into nutritionist uh stuff at the time he was kind of a transient moebius was at the time so some of these parts, you know, he, he wrote um, The Gardens of Adina. He drew it in Tokyo and then also in Los Angeles because that's where he, you know, he spent that summer. Um, so hmm. all of these things he was consuming went into the work. You know, he was really interested in dreams and nutrition and health and biology and sexuality. And then especially the human desire to live in a structured society and the archetypal good and evil. So these are the themes that he weaves in. Kind of going back to your question um, you know, is there some is there some, some hidden subtext in here? Yeah, there's 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 obvious subtext, and then there's hidden stuff too, and it all kind of goes back to support the values that he was really ingesting at that time that that you know uh, carried with him through the rest of his life. But you get to see that in Stella and Atan. They they come from this this conformist society. They get to Yadina, and for the first time in their lives, they're eating natural food. And they're sort of allowed to sort of explore themselves and each other and all these kinds of things. And so they they become very much more man and woman or male and female in the classic um, Adam and Eve sort of scenario. And something happens. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, uh, in, in, at least in this case. Something happens that, that separates them. And Atan, the, the girl, she leaves and Stella's left alone. And the entire rest of the book is still trying to find her again because he realizes he loves her. Like even the idea of love never occurred to him before because he was never put in a position where he could think about it or care about somebody else in this way. Mm. And so he's he develops this sort of obsessive 
desire to be with Atan again. And while he's going on that adventure, she's going through all of these changes on her own. She, um, you know, again, I don't want to spoil too much. She falls into this sort of alternative society that she becomes kind of a godlike figure for a little while and some other things happen. So you follow the track of these two characters. Um, and yes, there is, there is resolution to their relationship in the very end. It's not an obvious resolution. I, I, I really liked that it wasn't so on the nose that it really, it was appropriate. Um, uh, but it does, you know, there is that, it's, they, they don't just leave you wondering, you know, do they ever get back together? They, there's an answer to that question, but it does, it, it tracks these two very different characters as, you know, from their Genesis point of kind of discovering themselves, they split and then you get to see their evolution throughout the course of the book and what drives them and what motivates them. And then how they may still be connected, even though they're physically separated, there might be, something that connects them. Um, and in that way, something that connects all of us. So there's all, all this kind of interesting kind of new agey sort of stuff going on. Um, very philosophical in a, in a good way, I think. Um, and again, it just, it really mirrors what Moebius was interested in, in his own life at that time. Well, that's interesting. Cause it's, it seemed, I mean, definitely it seems squishier than, uh, like Hickman or, <laughs> or something like that, but, um, that it's not necessarily about those, the hard symbols, like what does this pyramid represent? But it's more about the values and the, uh, the like lifestyles or whatever that they're confronting. And these like ideas about that. Is it, is, are we meant to read Edina as Eden? Like, have they traveled to the garden of paradise kind of thing? I mean, I, that's how I read it. Like whether okay. it's the biblical Eden or not, I don't think matters. Um, right. And they're, in their minds and their story, it is, it is truly, you know, it's a paradise and it's a place for them to start anew to mm-hmm. sort of, sh- to, to leave behind. I mean, even physically they travel, uh, via this pyramid, they travel from this planet where the refugees were to Adina and they, you know, they physically leave their old lives behind their old spaceship, their old, you know, all the people they knew from the, the, um, the, the camp and everything. They stay, it's just them on this planet and they, they literally get to figure out who they are for the first time in their lives. And that that spirit, I think, is, and again, I, I hate to keep bringing the guy up, but I'm I'm such a Jodorowsky fan, and I think the, the thing that really connected both he and Moebius together creatively was this this desire to be free, this desire to, mm. to break free of social conventions and cultural conventions and truly figure out who you are and what you're supposed to be doing and how that benefits humanity. And so I, both of those guys really liked those ideas and they made a lot of their work about it. And so you get to see Moebius's um, sort of his own untainted version of that. You know, like I said, mm. he, he didn't collaborate with anybody on this. Um, so it's kind of fun to see like from his perspective, what does that look like? Where if you read the Inkle, for example, like you get to see their shared perspective and you can kind of, it's easier for me now to see where Jodo's ideas you know, end and Moebius's begin or vice versa. Hmm. So, you know, having the world of Adina is kind of, you know, I is a really nice companion book to the Inkle because it's, you know, the, the illustration style is very similar, but uh, a lot of the same ideas are there too about renewal and discovery and um, you know, the human spirit and all these kinds of things. But yeah, it's a very, it's a very, I, I like, I like the way you said it. It's, a, it's, it's soft symbolism in a lot of, a lot of ways. It's not, it's, it is definitely social commentary, but it's also, you know, universal. He's not trying to mm. say, you know, in the eighties, Margaret Thatcher was being kind of a, you know, right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like that. It's, it's like, what are the things, what are the, the universal human 
characteristics that define all of us that we all right. like what are, what's the journey we all have to go through and in that way it makes this this work very timeless and do you know um uh like production time wise was the inkle being produced around the same time or did this come after it i mean you know well, it's a little hard to answer because the Inkle also was done in phases. So oh. that wasn't just one completed work. They did um, they did parts um, one, I believe, in the late 70s or early 80s. So okay. I think, I mean, he was, there were definitely times when he was working on this and that concurrently. Right. Um, so it would be interesting to see what ideas he was saving for this and what ideas he put mm. into you know the ankle and vice versa so i i, I don't know there's they, they feel like spiritual siblings uh, right. even though the the stories do not intersect in the same the same universe but you could almost imagine that maybe they do maybe this is you know they don't even though it doesn't bring up any of the the things from from the jota verse you know you don't see meta barons or techno priests running around but you could believe maybe this is part of the same future where all of these stories sort of meet at the end of the day. Hmm. I do want to talk about the art though, because you know, the, the Moebius style is so prominent in our culture. Like if you just, you know, Google Moebius art, you'll know exactly what it is. The second you see it, it, it even like, you know, even things like where's Waldo have a very, you know, Moebius kind of, kind of vibe about them. It's, hmm. and it's all line art. Um, and you know he for a long a while when he did Blueberry and some of that early work he was being very detailed um, with his drawing and to his to his point he he said this later on um, he didn't um, he he didn't feel as confident in his line art as as he would have then so then he kind of made up for it with a lot of detail with with uh, World of Adina he uh, decided to restrict himself to what what's called a clear line style with just minimal details. Um, and then later on, he did add some some detail, kind of going back to his his more intricate um, signature style. But he did, you know, he does come back around again to this very simplistic, um, simplistic way of drawing. I'm actually going to read for you uh, a couple passages. He's got a great intro that he wrote himself, and then he has a bit here about the art. Um, I'm just going to quote him here. This is from from the World of Adina. He says. Um, by forcing myself to draw, quote, upon a star, which is one of the, the parts, in a style as pure and simple as possible, I could no longer find refuge in an excess of details. I was obliged to work very hard on my lines and make each one count because every true representation of anatomy, matter, and shape could only be expressed through simple lines. This prevented me from over-accumulating the kind of endless and neurotic details which often help turn a relatively mediocre panel into something interesting. It is otherwise a fairly traditional and classic method. This approach enabled me to work relatively fast and yet forced me to perfect my line work. From that standpoint, except for certain panels, which I think are only just average, I am rather pleased with Upon a Star, which I consider a success. And that permeates the, the whole book. And, um, and sorry to repeat, where did he write that? Or where did you read that? This is in the intro. So there's a nice oh, little okay. intro um, uh, from his point of view. Um, and then it kind of cuts in from some other other commentary. So it, right at the beginning of the of the collected work, um, you get to see this kind of stuff. Cool. He also has he also has another thing uh, uh, earlier on in the intro. I just want to read this too because I really like this. This is this really kind of gives you a sense of his his point of view. He says, "I never give the keys to my stories. My stories are not mm. like a box of spaghetti, and they don't come with instructions on how long you must put them in boiling water before you eat." <laughs> I deliberately never help anyone because if I do that, 
I feel I'm undercutting the pleasure of the reader. One's freedom to find in my stories what they find interesting. Besides, if I'm so proud of my work, it must be allowed to stand alone. I must tell the reader, I've done my part. Now it's your turn to be creative. So like just that really mm-hmm. sets up, I think, you know, what you're about to get into in the book, but just also who he was as, a, as an artist. Like I just, I love that sensibility. He wasn't so, you know, you know, a lot of creators and rightfully so are sort of authoritarian. It's like my vision yeah, yeah, is yeah. this and I want you to see it as I'm seeing it. And even, I mean, I've gotten that way from time to time. I like that he was not so precious about it. And in fact, even encouraging that it's like, look, you have what I've done. Now it's yours to, to take and and make your own. Um, And it's, it's loose enough. And and a lot of the, the subtext is, is kind of, is I'll say again, loose enough where, um, (laughs) you know, you, you really can, you know, you and I could read this and while we, we'd share some similar, you know, uh, perceptions of it. I think you might take away other things than I, I would take away uh, or vice versa. So I like that he encourages that and made it set, set the book up. So it's not so literal that you can't have, you know, interesting discussions about it. Um, right. And, and yeah, is, not to keep bringing him up, but you know, it almost feels like with Hickman and it, maybe it's just a magic trick. He's playing on the reader. You're, you're trying to, you're like, there, I, know, I know all these dots connect somehow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're sitting there trying to put it together, which I think is what he wants you to do. Even if there isn't a grandmaster plan, you're, that's how it's written is for you to do that. So it's, it's cool to hear that this is not like that, that it's a journey that you can kind of explore on your own rather than feeling like this is the destination you have to reach. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it really reminds you just going into a really great museum or an art gallery where it's like, you know, you can go at your own pace, right? You can, you know, there's a little placard there that kind of gives you what the artist was thinking, but otherwise it's on you to, to make your own conclusions about the work and, and how it affects you. And even the, you know, even the way in which you go through the museum, like there's no set line on the floor that you have to follow. You can kind of, you know, kind of hunt right. and pack at, at your leisure. So like, this is, this is a lot like that, which is, you know, when you can get a hybrid of the the museum experience and the comic experience, like I'm, that's, that's my sweet spot. You know, that's the kind of book yeah. that I will go after every time where I can reread it every year and come away with something new and interesting, or it feels fresh every time where it's like, Oh man, like I, it's not so ingrained in my mind that, you know, I'm, it's, it becomes like the office, you know, where you just, you watch it <laughs> so much. You can just, it just becomes like white noise. Like this is, right. this is engaging. And again, I'll, I'll say, and well, even after rereading it for this this episode, the thing that just continues to to strike me is that it feels so dreamlike. Um, you know, the characters themselves, Stell and uh, Atan, are having dreams within dreams in the book. You don't necessarily always know if what they're seeing is real or in their own imaginations. But the whole thing plays and looks and feels like a dream I've had. Um, you know, it just mm. it feels like it's just otherworldly and sort of you know, non-literal enough where you could just, it, it kind of takes you back to that dream space. You can almost feel your subconscious kind of poke through a little bit um, as you're going through it. I wanted to go back to the museum point you made. Um, talk about uh, the packaging of this. Yeah. And, so, you know, I, I, I'm assuming you, you're, you know, one question we always ask is digital versus print. This sounds like for sure a print artifact. Well, interestingly, I own it both ways because I, oh, nice. I grabbed it digitally first because I didn't know if I was going to, I hate to say this, but I didn't know at that time if I was going to like it enough to like want it a physical version too, you know, cause I just didn't know Moebius on his own, what I was in for, like, you know, were the 
the images I was seeing as previews were they just you know were they all the book was and then everything else is kind of eh. Because sometimes you you know you see a great splash image and a great cover and you're like well this will be cool and you get into it, you're like oh this really doesn't carry that those ideas through. I was you know completely wrong about even assuming that. So grabbed it digitally, but you definitely I think want to own the physical hardcover edition. The pages are are not oversized, but they're nice and big. The panels themselves, uh, I don't think there's ever a place where they put any more than four panels or maybe five on a single page. Um, you know, oftentimes it's like three panels a page. So they really give the images space to breathe. And unlike other comics too, like the 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 way the layout happens is is such that like you can turn a page and like all the panels have a you know a blue color scheme. You turn the page again and maybe they have a yellow color scheme. So mm. stylistically you're not looking at something where you're distracted by the panels surrounding any one frame. Um, there's a cohesiveness to it. So as you, I'm just flipping through it now, you really get a rhythm, like a visual rhythm as you go through. So I, I actually think, you know, get it digitally if, if you just, if you need it that way, but I don't think guided view is gonna give you anything that's better than this. You know, I don't think it's to your benefit to see only one panel at a time. You kinda, you kinda want, you, you kinda want to, to be washed away and just the visual aesthetic of what's going on. Like you see one amazing panel that's, that's really kind of otherworldly and dreamy and you kind of want the rest of it surrounding your you know, surrounding that visual cue. You don't want to just be focusing on one thing. It's not a, it's not a movie or a storyboard in that way. So I heavily recommend you get the, the hmm. full version, the colors, you know, they, they painstakingly, um, you know, got the colors to match the original art prints um, oh, and really cool. um, even though Moebius is dead, his wife um, was involved too. So like Dark Horse did a really, really good job adapting this and just taking care to make sure that this truly represented his vision and, and how the work should be should be really represented. So grab it physically. If, if you're interested at all, grab it physically. But you know, if you just, if you wanted to just sample it, I'm sure digitally is, is fine. I still have my copy. Cool. Um, any, any parting words on this? <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, it's hard because I really, I would love to give, you know, I would love to give more on the story. Um, right. and I think that if I do, this would either be a three hour episode or I would just butcher the story. And I don't think, mm. you know, the, the story beats themselves are, are very important, but knowing that going in is not, I don't think that's going to make or break your wanting to get this book, you know, knowing that, a, a you know, there's a particular character that it behaves in a certain way. I don't think it's, it's none of that's going to matter. I think the, the, you're going to see some really just inventive, you know, spaceships and, and settings oh. and scenes and people. And, and really at the end of the day, the story is about Stella and Atan and their, their relationship. And, you know, even how one person can misinterpret what a relationship is, mm. um, you know, read too much into certain things to obsess about certain things while at the same time, maybe you are a soulmate with somebody like that's, that's the story. You know, everything else is kind of this, the, the mechanism that facilitates that. And you get to go to some really fun places and, and realms in between. But, um, you know, don't, don't get too caught up in, in, in like, what is it about? And, you know, where does it end? Like that's, that's not this kind of book. Like this is really one of those, 
I hate to keep saying it. I don't, this is not meant to be a pejorative, but like it's it's a it's a European sensibility. Right. You right, know, it's right. it's not the black and white paint by numbers approach that a lot of American work, for better or worse, gets into. It's very it's very heady. You know, you're going to want to definitely not have some distractions when you read this. Grab a, a great cup of coffee or a great you know, glass of scotch or something, and just really let this take you on a journey. Um, let it take you somewhere you didn't expect to go before. Cause I think that's, that's the power of this particular book. That's when you're working with a master like Moebius, um, who only come around once in a lifetime, like both in terms of, of talent and unique, uh, unique style. And then even just sensibility like that, this, this is a, they broke the mold when they made this guy. So like be, you know, be comfortable and, you know, feel safe in, in what he's trying to do and what he's, you know, where he's trying to take you. Right. And so when you've mentioned like the Moebius universe, is it, do you feel like the, this, like all of those Moebius works are tied together just thematically or are there really characters and stories that cross over? You know, sadly, I have not read enough of his work to know for sure. Right. So like in this, in the Adina stuff, it's all connected story wise and character wise. But, um, you know, does this, does this tie into heavy metal? Does this tie into <laughs> any of the books that I'm going to consume on his humble bundle? Um, you know, there's a, there's another thing that dark horse has put out. There's a part one and part two called inside Moebius, um, which is kind of a illustrated diary of sorts. And in that, I know you do see characters from both this and you know other, you know, other works that he's done. So that's kind of his, his dark tower of sorts that kind of connects everything. Um, right. Even though it's sort of a, a commentary on his own life and his own work. Otherwise, I don't know. That will be maybe at, bring that up to me again later in the year after okay. I've read a few more of these pieces, because I, I, I feel like they're all self-contained. I think, you know, this was the attempt to try to make a shared universe uh, mm, creatively, gotcha. but I just, I, I don't, I think when he finished, it was like, well, it can be its own thing. And if there's casual, links to other stories or other works that's great but he's not going to go out of his way to try to like you know make this character you know a, a key character in, in another book entirely interesting so i know um you've mentioned humanoids several times in different episodes i am positive that you reviewed inkle or something called like the new inkle or something like that at one point but going through our archives i could not find it i know you talked about a land called tarot in yes. episode number 61 um, and so I would just encourage people to go back through our archives and look for that. Cause I know, although, uh, I, you know, the, like, um, Tarot is also Moebius's art. No, 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 but no, not no, his story. no, 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 neither. So a land called Tarot oh, okay. is, is unrelated entirely. It's image. Oh, okay. It's uh, a, Oh, that's uh, image. Oh, sorry. Then I, well, wait, what am I getting confused with, uh, <laughs> the well, Jodorowsky, the other Jodorowsky book? I'm glad you book. brought this up because. Uh, a land called tarot is you know, if you liked that book um at all and, and please go back and listen to that episode you said it was 60 what 61 61 61 um that's one of those books that has no words at all like no speech bubbles and it's very very abstract and it's beautiful imagery and it's very very dreamy um just like this i i read a land called tarot i'm like man i've dreamed of some of these places like i've seen some of these places you know in my head when I sleep and it's just kind of cool to sort of let somebody take you back there. So in much the same way, um, even though Adina has, you know, there's dialogue and there's text, there's a lot of scenes that are very, 
sort of, you know, you just kind of have to figure out for yourself what's going on, much like a land called tarot. And I, I think that's another great reference. If you like that, you'll oh, definitely okay. like this. Um, but yeah, no, sadly, un- unrelated, but you could, you could maybe argue the, the, our, the, um, the author artist was a Moebius fan or was definitely inspired by it. Cause there's, there's some, there's, you know, some connective tissue just thematically going on. Right. And maybe that's why it just sprung to mind because when you were reviewing that, you probably talked about Inkle and other works like that, but um, yeah, cool. Uh, I think that just about does it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's, people it's... want to find those old episodes, you can go to panelism.inc. Um, and you can also find us on Instagram at panelism.inc, I-N-K. You were about to add something. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I just, I, you know, I even even having gone through it, you know, I hope hopefully you like it. But just, I I still feel like I'm, I'm leaving so much on the table, but that's OK. You know, it's, <laughs> I think part of this part of this is, it's you know, it's an audio podcast describing some amazing pieces of art that you just have to see with your own eyes. And I just got to trust trust in that. Well, and yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, part of our mission is to just kind of like shine a light on some of that stuff. And it is visual art. So, you know, one one thing you and I do constantly when we bring up books that the other is not read is just Google it to look at images and go, ooh, I like the style of this, you know, and yeah, yeah. add it to the wish list or whatever. So um, that that's how the list that's how you the listeners should be doing this too i think you know Absolutely. if something piques your interest uh um yeah just uh google it check out the images because it's all about like what connects to you visually this is a huge thing that we talk about all the time like if the art doesn't connect with us we can't get into the story yeah yeah 100 percent. well it's been great uh go pick up the world of adina by moebius at your local comic book store And we'll be back next time with another episode. It's been great talking to you. All right. We'll see you then or we'll see you at another time.